Welcome to Kind Langery, the podcast by Constructed Languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me down the road away is William Annis. Hello. All right. And uh, before we get started, I want to plug a, a Kickstarter really quick. Um, there's a comic project called Glow, and uh, the, the, the thing that's interesting to Conlangers uh, is, uh, so this is in sort of a post-apocalyptic um, fantasy world, and there is a language created for it. I think it's called Numerian. And I haven't looked much into the language itself, um, but uh, one thing is they have incorporated it a lot into the artwork in t- as uh, sort of interesting sort of calligraphy. So anyway, I'll just link to that, and if people are interested, they can take a look. The comic saga has uh, one group of people, one major faction in the storyline, speak Esperanto. (laughs) Yeah. Untranslated, so you're not quite sure what's going on unless you know Esperanto, and then it's like, oh, they're telling them to stop or I'll shoot. Yeah, I've been reading Saga, actually, and it's it's sort of funny to be reading the Esperanto in there. I've been learning Esperanto, by the way. Oh, George... Just for fun. Now you get to be vilified by other conlangers every time you bring the subject up. <laughs> I'm not going to really talk about it so much because, you know, my conlanging is more naturalistic. But, eh. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So, let's get started. Our topic today is adjectives. Uh, so... We actually did an episode, episode 42, that was called Getting Rid of Adjectives, which uh, really wasn't just, like, that's the title of it, but it really wasn't just about getting rid of them, but making them sort of less prominent. Uh, this episode, though, um, is going to cover some of the same things, but we're taking sort of a different tack and saying, okay, let's have adjectives in your language but let's make them interesting, right? Right. Uh, so, William, why don't you take away and talk about a little bit about, um, <clears throat> um, about adjectives? Okay, well, the, the first thing I want to say is a lot of my information, not all of it, but a good chunk, is coming from Dick, <coughs> Excuse me, from Dixon's Basic Linguistic Theory book. Um, and he asserts that all languages have adjectives. Naturally, some people disagree. Um. So we're just going to lightly jump over that question. Um, and we can basically distinguish two kinds of languages. Those with an open class of adjectives, with new ones always possible, either through derivation or borrowing. Most of us listening to this podcast um, speak languages with an open class of adjectives. There's a huge number of them. And you can always add more. Um, and then the other hand, you can have languages with a closed ca- uh, class um, of adjectives, possibly a very small inventory, like as, as few as three actual true adjectives, um, with up to maybe 80 possible, with a dozen or two most likely. When you have, um, in either open or closed class, you might have subclasses of adjectives with different behaviors. Even those with very small adjective inventories still might have two sets of adjectives that behave 
differently in various ways we'll be touching on as we go through the show. All right, so there are basically four grammatical possible possibilities. Your adjectives can be verb-like, your adjectives can be noun-like, um, and these are the two most common possibilities. Um, Dixon Mex, uh, mentions a modest correlation, um, so that dependent marking languages or languages that use noun case are more likely to have noun-like adjectives, and head marking languages um, are more likely to have verb-like adjectives. Um, let's, Again, yeah. not 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 super strong, but he seems there seems to be a modest correlation there. Now, when we're talking about uh, verb-like and noun-like, are we talking about morphology? Are we talking about syntax? What, right. what are we talking? We are talking about, uh, well, there are various tests, but mostly we're talking about morphology. Noun-like ones will take noun uh, marking of various kinds, sometimes with modifications. Uh, verb-like ones will take um, verb marking, typically not the full gamut of verb marking. Um, some uh, tense and mood things or aspect things might be unavailable for <coughs> adjectives that are available for full verbs. Okay. Well, um, in that case, then I think we, we could say, uh, I, I, I think I could see why case languages might be uh, more likely to have noun-like adjectives because one of the things you could have is case agreement on the adjectives. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, as I said, these two are the most common. Um, another possibility is for your adjectives to be both noun-like and verb-like. That is, they get nouny inflections when they're in a noun phrase, but when they're a predicate, like he is blue, they get verb marking. Um, this is what uh, conlanging beginners to Esperanto always want to do with Esperanto adjectives. Um, you can turn them into verbs, um, even though people don't normally do that, but um, conlangers always want to make blue a verb. Right, that's a that's a thing that the the Duolingo t- course teaches you too. <laughs> um, and the another possibility is that your adjective may be like neither um, verb like or noun like. And English is an example of that. There's no marking at all that adjectives get that relates to either verbs or nouns. Um, and then just mentioned in passing, there's a fifth option, which is you can have some mix. Japanese has two classes of adjectives. It has a verb-like set and a noun-like set. Um, behave quite differently, but they still do have a few commonalities so that it still makes sense to call them both adjectives, even though their behaviors are a little bit funky. Yeah, that's it's that's interesting. You could also think a little bit about... Um, there's a question, because you're talking about noun-like and verb-like in terms of morphology. Yes. Um I think you can sort of talk about syntactically too, because, you know, again, this gets into like theoretical things of how you want to say it. You could, you could, you could, um, you could analyze Chinese as not having adjectives, but just having stated verbs or having like verb like adjectives. Right. Because of syntax. Right. You know, they can act as a predicate on their own. Yeah. And as is often the case with these typological questions, it doesn't, it can be difficult to come up with a definite definition of an adjective that applies correctly to all languages. You will typically need to come up with sometimes quite subtle tests from language to language to say, yes, this is definitely an adjective and not a verb, not just a state of verb. Um, and 
each language is going to have their own test. Right. And I, I, I bring that up mainly just to say that these categories are a little bit fuzzy and, oh, yeah. you know, when you're describing your conlang, I, don't get too worried about like fitting things into classes properly because sometimes, you know, sometimes what class you would put it in depends on what theoretical position you'd want to take. And conlangers really don't need to be worrying about theoretical positions. Sure. I mean, if it's useful to you as a way to help think about stuff, but yeah, I don't think people need to get too attached um, to any one theory. <clears throat> I'm, I'm remaining agnostic on the question of whether or not all languages absolutely must have an adjective class. And then it, just in passing, I want to mention Hopi, which turns adjectives into prefixes when they are um, modifying a noun um, and look sort of verb-like when they're not. So that's like the, the, the both class I just mentioned above. Except what's wonderful about Hopi, and we have a link here, is both the adjective and the noun undergo various kinds of phonological reductions when they're crammed together, um, which is worth taking a look at just for fun. Yeah, that, that's uh, morphophonology is always fun. Right. Um, okay, so what do adjectives do? Two primary jobs with a third optional job. First job is to state a property. The dog is large. Um, and I'll either talk about stating a property or I'll talk about predicate uses of adjectives there. Um, and then the other thing is you could use an adjective to specify a particular noun. That is to say, it's attributive. I see the big dog as opposed to some other kind of dog. In most languages, both of these functions are possible. However, some languages only have one or the other. So, for example, you might have some that can only have attributive adjectives. And in something like that, you can't say Bob is tall. You have to say Bob is a tall man or something like that. Again, as always, you may have a subset of adjectives that behave differently with regard to this than others. Um, second, even though you might be allowed both predicate and attribute uses of adjectives in a language, a language might have a really strong preference for one or the other. For example, apparently Korean has a strong preference for uh, a predicate use. So you're more likely to say the men are many versus there are many men. Oh, okay. Right. So both functions are available, but there may be a strong preference uh, for uh, uh, for one or the other. Okay. So, it, it, and that gets into like idiomatic phrasing and such. Yeah, it's it's style thing, but also, I mean, it's really these, these sort of subtle things. It's like, oh yeah, that sounds right, but no one would say that. Hmm. And finally, um, your adjectives uh, may be uh, related to adverbs. Either a bear adjective might be usable as an adverb, or there might be some special construction um, or derivation. We might want to do adverbs sometime in the future. Yeah, they're pretty... They can be pretty wild, too. I, the problem with adverbs is it's kind of a dumping ground. Yeah, like, like, like particle, it's like, well, I don't know what this is. I'm going to call it you know, either an adverb or a, or a particle. Yeah, I can see. I can see that happening. Okay. So uh, let's get to the issue of the, the small closed class of adjectives for a moment. And I call these the Dixon specials. He's identified certain core semantic senses 
which are most likely to be adjectives if you have a very small adjective class. So the very core semantic types are dimension, big, small, short, age, new, young, old, value, good, bad, ugly, that sort of thing, and color. If you have a very small number of adjectives in your language, they will very likely be drawn from this core semantic set, or most of them will be. That's uh, very interesting. I wonder about color. If uh, your language has, you're right. If your language has color terms at all, yeah, and or, or the, the 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 question for me would would be like if this restricted set of adjectives is more likely going to be uh, things that are earlier in the color hierarchy than later. That would be interesting to know. Oh, I don't know. That yeah. We don't know. Well, right, the, we the paper where I'm getting the list, the colors listed are black, white, and red, so they were obviously having that in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you, your set gets a little bit larger, um, some peripheral semantic types are physical properties, like hard, soft, heavy, light, human propensities, jealous, happy, so on, and speed, fast, quick, slow. Interesting that speed is actually a little bit is in the peripheral. Because uh, we think about speed as kind of uh, basic, but I think maybe speed is more pace, basic as a, an adverbial than as an adjective. Right, and the paper that we're getting this from that we'll have in the show notes is actually talking about that very issue, that if you only have a small number of root adverbs, speed is highly likely to be mm. uh, early early in the, the set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, if you have larger adjective classes, um, it gets a bit out there. Difficulty, easy, difficult, tough. Similarity, like, unlike, qualification, true, untrue, definite, quantification, all, many, some, position, high, low, near, and then cardinal numbers, first, last, and so on. Um, And that's more likely if you have a larger set of uh, adjectives um, in the dozens. Um, And it's very possible to have a very small adjective class, you know, 10 and have most of them from the core set with maybe one or two that are just utterly unexplained um, or are uh, in a, a higher uh, grouping that I've mentioned here. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Uh, another thing worth talking about these is that even if you have an open class of adjectives, some of these Dixon specials might behave strangely. For example... If you've had French, you know that adjectives usually follow their noun. But there's a small set called the BAGS adjectives, where BAGS is an acronym for beauty, age, goodness, and size, which come before. And some they have sometimes funky euphony forms as well. And these, of course, are all things that fit into these core semantic adjective types. There are, I couldn't remember which language it was, but I know that there are some languages with state of verbs that are basically adjective senses, and that's a large open class. But a small set of these statives always take classifier marking um, if they fall into one of these core semantic types. Uh, you actually uh, uh, made a note to me about Spanish has some adjectives that change meaning if you put them before the noun. Right. And thinking about that and looking at, um, at, uh, at, like, I have a list on Wikipedia of, of ones that tend to change. And I think a, a lot of them are ones that fall into that, the, those 
core meanings, like uh, Antiguo is one. Uh, of course, there's uh, Gran and Gran versus Grande. Right. People know uh, Buen versus Bueno. Right. Um, uh, that which that's another thing is that there's a, a reduction in man- masculine singular, but that's you know that's going to be a Spanish specific thing. But uh, that's interesting that the ones that tend to be it seems like the ones that tend to be used before the noun more often are are ones that uh, would be in, in one of those core classes. Right. So that's the point I want to make here is even if you have an open class of adjectives, there are still um, bits of fun you can play uh, by looking at these core semantic types. So comparatives and superlatives. Not all languages have these. Uh, so you have to come up with other ways to express them. And by comparatives, I mean, you know, uh, I am stronger than, I don't know, my cat. Um, it's that comparative sense. The way yeah, the in- And um, just to clarify that, uh, we're not, when you say I am stronger than my, my cat, that you're talking about the strong with the ER on it. Right. Because all languages have some sort of comparative construction. And I'm linking the the Walls chapter on comparative constructions just for background. But uh, the thing that's odd, and uh, the Walls chapter is by uh, Stassen. He notes that, like, this, the ER suffix, or having more before, um, at least according to uh, this guy, that seems to be much more common in Europe than elsewhere. Right. Actually, ha- having a separate comparative form with some sort of morphological marking is actually quite rare outside yeah. of the Indo-European languages. That doesn't mean it doesn't occur outside. Right. It's just... But it's not like as it. common, yeah. Um, so you can do that. Uh, you can have some larger construction uh, where uh, you have basically what looks like a preposition that marks comparison, and the preposition or adposition or whatever is the sole marking of comparison. Um, you can use a verbal expression. Wind today strong surpasses yesterday for the wind today is stronger than yesterday. Um, and surpasses a very common verb for that function. Um, or you can just say multiple sentences, you know, John is big, Bob is small. Right. There's always a way to, to express the, the meaning. Right. But, uh, yeah, the, the marking on the adjective, the, he calls it predicate marking is not, uh, is not the usual way to do it. Right. Um, in terms of superlatives, it's a little bit harder to say things general about that. Um, one thing worth mentioning is there, I mean, there's basically two ways to, uh, move up or down, um, a scale. You can have a separate word. You can have some sort of morphology. Uh, English uh, has most, for example. Uh, French uses the definite article combined with the comparative. Um, so different languages handle these uh, superlatives differently. Um, and, and also, if you have one of the, like, the with, with surpass or exceed in the comparative, uh, sometimes it's just like it's uh, exceeding all. Right, that's, just, that's that's how you do it. Superlative sometimes you are just better than everyone. Yeah, um, but I just want to mention the possibility 
that senses like very or most or extremely um, can be separate words, um, but you can also have effectively derivational forms uh, for all of these, and that's the preferred way to mark uh, scale. Uh, I think Korean does that. Okay, George, is there anything from the walls chapter you wanted to mention, or did we cover all of these? Um. Uh. Well, I mean the the on the walls chapter, the the main thing is just the. Uh, I think you sort of covered what the the main uh, types are. You, sure. You, don't, you didn't use his, the their names for them, but people yeah. can look at the walls chapter and see. So uh, uh, yeah, this is worth mentioning that marking the point of comparison. You know, I'm I'm stronger than the cat. Um, various uh, locative expressions are very common mm-hmm. uh, for for marking the comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, English uses than, but others might use to or from or, or various other things. Right, right. Um, so yeah, and that's one of the types is a locative. The other is the the exceed or surpass, and then sometimes it's just a conjoined. Right. He is big, he is small, like you said. Um, okay. So I just wanted to mention a little bit about the semantics. Um, you might have, and this happens in all languages, where you have this funny overlap between different word classes. Uh, so in English, we have afraid for the adjective, but fear is the verb. Well, why do we need both of these? Um, they're related, but they're not related in an obvious way, like the difference between cook and cooked which is just a normal past passive participle. Right. Um, so because Dixon is the master of Australian languages, he gives an example in gerbal where there's an interesting overlap between verbs and adjectives with entirely separate lexical items for cook versus cooked, be sick versus sick, cover versus covered, and so on. Um, and what's interesting here is these adjectives are kind of like past passive participles. They are used only for permanent resulting states. Okay. So, uh, and these tend to be uh, a small core semantic set, uh, processing things like cooking, uh, gathering things into groups. Uh, but these adjectives don't have to be derived from verbs. They can be utterly separate lexical items. Um, I can't think of any good examples in English. I mean, we have afraid and fear, um, but they're still... They're still... They're still uh, there's still an etymological relationship there, whereas these, they're utterly different. And I just thought that was interesting to, to think about. Uh, if you're going to have adjectives, uh, you might want to have some that mark resultant states for certain kinds of common things uh, that are in no way related to the verbs that are used to mark the same thing. Yeah. And even if you do have them related to verbs, there there can be, you know, the the whole weird thing of, you know, English bored versus boring, meaning totally different things. Right. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of languages that don't have that distinction, and you just have to know from context. Uh, but, you know, it's just a, a choice of, how the verb becomes an adjective morphologically is is changing how it works. Right. Yeah, that's, a, yes, a notorious uh, confusion that can happen in classical Greek is you have a bunch of adjectives either with actual uh, privatives, you know, the, the, the a or an prefix, um, or uh, 
adjectives uh, describing some body problem like being deaf or something or blind uh when it can be either active or passive the word for blind can either mean you can't see or it can't be seen oh okay it can't hear or can't be heard um so that leads to confusion sometimes when you're translating in class yeah i can if you pick if you pick the wrong sense uh where so that's a, a sort of just sort of a general thing as you mentioned um, context matters can matter a lot for these sorts of things. So that leads nicely to derivational morphology. Um, causatives formed from adjectives occur in many, many languages. Um, large, large, and large, you know, to make something to be the adjective quality. Right. That, that's, that seems like something real easy to do with you have, um, have, Verb-like adjectives, but any kind of adjective, whatever your adjectives are like, probably you can, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, it doesn't matter uh, what what the primary adjectives are like in the language. Um, uh, I already mentioned that. Uh, in terms of der- uh, derivations from, <coughs> excuse me, from nouns, the the English suffixes less full like are all very common in lots of different language families. I went looking for non-Indo-European languages. And I found privatives, you know, like um, hopeless um, are pretty common. Full, hopeful, to have a lot of something. Uh, resemblance is a very common derivation. And the sort of generic be characterized by. So like a rocky hill. Ah, right. Yeah, just to be somehow uh, characterized by having rocks. All of those are pretty common in lots of different languages. And I have a link to a nice... Uh, a Tagalog overview grammar that has a nice section on lots and lots of derivations. Ah, that's nice. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's worth just taking a quick look at. Um, also, there's just the fun of the, you know, Austronesian love of prefixes, suffixes, and infixes. So you just never know where the word's going to go. Right. And um, this sort of, just on a side note, um, because I found this is uh, an interesting thing to do when you're creating words is think about your, you don't want to do this like predictively for every word, but you know, sometimes you might, um, pull things, you know, take things and look at, um, how things end up being derived in English and do like the opposite, uh, like, um, Instead of, you know, so we have brave and bravery, and then we have courage too, so we have separate roots too. Um, and then in, a, in the language I'm working on now, um, I just decided to do the opposite and have a root for courage, and then having courage is to be brave, sort of thing. Obviously, that's just sort of, that's sort of a cheap trick. You don't want to do it all every time. You want to be more thoughtful, but. Right, you never know which way the derivation is going to go. Yeah, so sorry, that was a side note. Yeah, no, that's edited out. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's worth thinking about. Yeah, um, uh, I've not spent a whole lot of time thinking about the question of adjective orders when you're allowed to have multiples. You know, the big red angry dog or whatever. Um, we have lists. I have a, a link to a paper on that. Um, I've never found that question particularly interesting, and I almost never have. A noun-like adjectives in my language, so it's not a possibility for me anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, there's 
there are claims that when you have uh strings of you know several lang several adjectives piled up that there's like a specific order that's somewhat universal but uh you know that's not my area of expertise so i'm not going to say necessarily one way or the other right um there are two well there are three walls chapters on adjectives um there are a bunch of chapters that talk about adjectives, but they mostly have to do with the, the order of elements in the noun phrase. You know, where does the noun come? Where does the adjective come? Where does the demonstrative come? All of that. The chapter on how predicates are encoded is interesting. We've sort of touched on this a little bit. It's just, do you use a copula like English, he is tired, um, or do you use some other sort of uh, uh, way to, to encode that? Yeah, the, can the adjective become a verb in itself right is, uh, is it does it need a copula what what kinds of things can you do and then for uh, languages with uh, noun-like adjectives can they be used alone as a noun right right like in, in Spanish you can say el rojo right 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 the red one where in English we have to use a prop noun one uh, mm. to hold to hold that up. So those are both worth taking a, a quick look at as well, just to think about it. Um, and that's all I wanted to say about adjectives, unless you have anything else, George. I'm just embarrassed we've never talked about it before. I'm not sure that we would ever necessarily have an episode on nouns because they're so fundamental, and I'm not sure how you could do that without having a three-hour show. It's more like you would want to do um, just several episodes on nouns. Because there's even things you, you would want to cover with nouns that uh, not everyone even wants to do. Like um, you have to you have to go, you know, case is a very deep subject. Right. Gender can be a very deep subject. Right. All of all of which we've addressed separately. Right. Right. We've we, we've talked about them before, but um, like exhaustively going over nouns, or even exhaustively going over verbs, is not something we can do in one episode. But that's that's a year long project. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've. This is our second time around talking about adjectives, but and it's looking like this is a sort of a shorter episode. But I think we we cover uh, quite a few things. So um, just these are good sort of options for you. Um, and keep in mind, you know what you want to call these things. In some ways, might be a little bit up to you. Uh, because, you know, if you think, have adjectives that really don't work very differently from verbs, you might not necessarily want to call them adjectives or you can call them adjectives. It's not a big deal, but it's useful to, to be thinking about the category of adjectives and you might want to actually really have, um, that it's not just a European thing to have a separate class that, that is adjectives. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, anything particularly odd. It is normal for adjectives to be more noun-like or more verb-like or have these splits that William was talking about. But um, I guess the main thing is like the basic choices for how you treat adjectives are pretty simple. The complexity probably comes in much more in terms of what the, what the implications of that are for 
other parts of the language. So, like, if you're having noun-like adjectives, well, if you have case and nouns, then you have to ask, okay, am I going to agree with case, right? Right. Or is just the entire noun phrase going to be the site for case marking rather than agreement going on? Right, right. So, so uh, as I said, it's about, you know, the, the, the choice on, in the, on the adjective is not so much of a, a big thing as much as uh, what your choice with the adjective does to the rest of the system. So, or how it interacts with the rest of the system. So, um, I think that's about it. I didn't really have any, any particularly interesting thoughts to add. Um, uh, going, uh, going back on the, the, the Spanish note, I, I will ask, uh, listeners. So I linked to the Wikipedia page on Spanish adjectives. Um, I ha- remember hearing something about the position of adjectives in Spanish having to do with restrictiveness, but I'm not like, uh, it mentions this, something similar to this, uh, here in the, but I've never really gotten myself to understand how, what that really means, like limiting versus not, versus describing distinction. So if someone can give me a good explanation of what, how that works, uh, leave me a comment because I'm a little bit lost on it. Yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, uh, going back to something you said earlier, my language, uh, I don't have an adjective class listed. What I have are things I call state verbs. Um, and they're used for all of the adjective like jobs, either, you know, uh, relative clauses. If you need something like an attributive job, um, and just like normal verbs, except in mine, even though I don't call them adjectives, there is a restricted, uh, options for verb aspect for the state of verbs. Mm. Um, so even though I'm not calling them adjectives, um, they still are different from, you know, more uh, high agency kinds of verbs. Right. And um, that's actually sort of the direction that I'm, I'm planning on doing for um, Pahran is I also just have state of verbs and then attribute it. their uh, the attributive use is is the same as a relative clause structure, but uh, I'm planning on making like agreement working work differently because of the way my agreement work marking works in the first place. And then, so yeah, uh, the the key thing is like t- even whether you're calling them adjectives or not, these you know things that describe a state or a property, what what do they do and how do they differ from other kinds of words? Right. Right. So, uh, that's, that's the, the, the general upthrust of, uh, what you need to be thinking about from this episode is, uh, is thinking about what adjectives or adjective like things are, are doing in your language. Uh, so any other final thoughts before we end? No, take a look at those core semantic types and do something fun with your language. Yeah, definitely. I think we didn't talk so much uh, about those restrictive sets of adjectives can be really interesting. The there's um, 
we talked about this in episode 42 a little bit, so you can refer back to that. But um, like the Algonquian languages have uh, these pre-nouns, right. I think, where those are actually just like prefixes that are that restricted set of adjectives. And then other adjectives are, are verbs. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, look at all the, the stuff and just make, just, just make a few little choices about how adjectives work and then work that into the system of the language. Yeah. If, if you're not sure, uh, for how this might work, if you have a small set of adjectives, what do you do for everything else? Um, Right. There's going to be other constructions. There's going to be verb constructions, idioms, whatever. Hausa uh, uh, is a good example language, which has a few dozen true adjectives. Um, and most descriptions of Hausa adjectives talk about them and then explain how you deal with every other adjective-like sense you might want to talk about. Right. So I think that's all for for the show now. Um, but uh, definitely, you know, have a. Th- have a think about your adjectives and uh uh if people have any uh any thoughts feel free to share with us so uh thank you everyone uh thank you william and happy conlang thank you for listening to conlangery you can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com you can support the show on patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and on Tumblr now. All of those you just find conlangery. Our web space is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our theme music is by Null Device. And our new site was designed by Bianca Richards. And another thing, uh, I'm going to try to edit it out, but um, uh, my fire alarm is beeping, so you might hear that little tweak every so often. Uh, I haven't gotten around to, we haven't gotten around to getting the battery changed yet, so uh, unfortunate, sorry. Well, see, if you hadn't mentioned, then people would just think it goes with the, the birds and bug sounds we can hear from outside your window. Yeah, I better close that window. No, that's fine. Let me check that. (laughs) There we go. No more window sounds. No nature for Conlangery. (laughs) Okay. Real professional here.